0: this is your first time, hello. If it's your second time, hello again. If it's your third time, kick your shoes off. This is home. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. I just pray that you are blessed today. I want to just recap. We wrapped up last week a sermon series entitled, Who Remembers? Parent Guilt. Parent Guilt is very interesting because in the spring the Lord started working on me about this, how we're going to approach the fall and into the month so there's going to be a lot of focus over the next several weeks on family. So last month we focused on parenting. This month we're going to be focusing on the whole family and we're going to share with you, I'm going to share with you some thoughts and uh, hopefully Not hopefully. I know it will because the Lord gave it to me. It will resonate. And we're going to have a good time, but we're going to really be challenged in the way that we go about this series entitled Family Feud. Family Feud. A family And the survey says, David, you have an opportunity to steal. Let me say the question again. We surveyed 100 people and we asked, what are some issues that produce an unhealthy, dysfunctional family environment? I'm going to say, no grace, no forgiveness. Ah. (laughs) Dysfunctional families show no grace and no forgiveness, and the survey says? (laughs) You're going to play? You're going to play? You're going to play. Come on, give him a hand. Give him a hand. Give him a hand. Give him a hand. Dysfunctional. Families. Dysfunctional families, dysfunctional families. See, one thing that comes to mind for me when I think about family, I think about how different Hallmark, (laughs) must be different for y'all too. I instantly think about movies and cartoons and I see what family looks like in Hollywood. And when I put my lens on family, there's something significantly different. I tend to see that In most contexts, there is dysfunction that always precedes family. I know what you're thinking. Some of you are saying, amen, brother. Some of you are thinking, who, me? Wherever you are. Land on this spectrum. I, I think it's important that we dissect what it is that creates the dysfunction in our families and how we are to address it. Because when we're in church, when we're, in, when we're here together, we say, oh, yeah, we're a church family. Or when a friend is really close to you, you say that they're like family. I have all kinds of family that have no blood relation to me at all. I have all kinds of cousins, nieces, nephews, aunts and uncles that have absolutely no relation to me at all. And and I have some relationships that are far closer than my blood relationships. So then how exactly and what is it exactly... That defines family. Well, I started today, I started over a month or so ago as we were planning out this series. And our first two things we were going to dig in was grace, or the lack thereof, and unforgiveness. And I have probably scrapped this message three or four times. Because the more that I wanted to capture about the things that are truly impacting the family unit, the more I realized that the Holy Spirit was saying, slow down. There are really some things that we have to look at in the way that we've allowed ourselves to function in dysfunctional spaces. Some of us have gotten extremely comfortable in our chaos. Some of us think everyone else is toxic and don't realize how toxic we are. Some of us don't understand the weight that God is trying to break a generational curse through you. And if you're not careful what he intends to break, you will continue on if you don't stop. And, and the more that I realized what God was giving me to share, the more I heard him say, don't be surprised if everyone just stares at you. And I don't like it when people just stare at me because I don't know what you're thinking. But then I heard, some, uh, you know, sometimes elders can really give you some words of wisdom. And I remember my great-grandfather who I used to sit with by the windowsill. He used to say really weird things but they were so wise once you were able to take them all in. And I remember one time he told me that a hungry hog would squeal loud but a hog that's eaten is quiet. I'm not calling you hogs. (laughs) What I'm saying to you is that Sometimes there's nothing to say as we make sense out of what's being said. So I began to dig into grace, and immediately this phrase, this passage that from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 came to mind. And I immediately started to hear, oh, God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. Show of hands, how many of you have heard that? My grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. 90% of this room raised their hand. The other 10% is just being stubborn. <laughs> but in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, we see uh, who we would learn to be the Apostle Paul, and he, is, and he is talking about something that resonates with me how he's had these Jesus encounters, how his life has been transformed, and he's seen, he's had these these revelation moments with God, and God has spoken to him so clearly, and he is now on this path to following, not just following Jesus, but being an advocate for Jesus. His life has done a complete swap, and he is on team Jesus. But then he He starts to, he's kind of wrestling with something and explaining this journey for him. And he says, and he starts to talk about this thorn that's in his flesh. He starts to talk about this thorn and he he even says that it's like a messenger from Satan that's tormenting him. So we pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 8, and he says this. He says, on three different times I have begged the Lord to take it away. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I, I began to think about this because in verse number nine, he says that everything, each time that he's asked this question for it to go away, it to go away, he says that the reply is my grace is all you need, and my power works in your weakness. So each time that he asked the question for it to be removed, this is the response. All you need is my grace, and my power works in weakness. And so I began to ask myself what is what it what is it? Like, like what is the it? What is the it that he's asking for? What is it that he's asking to be taken away? He's talking about this thorn that's in his side, and it's, it, it's creating pain for him, and it's, it's this moment of trouble for him, and it's not comfortable for him, but then he justifies the pain, and he says, but wait, this is the very thing that essentially keeps me humble. So what is he actually asking God for? What is God replying? What is God's grace sufficient for? See, many of us go through things in our lives and in our families, and we're asking God to do something about it. But what is the it? What are you actually asking to happen in your family life? Because if you don't define or you're not clear on what the it is, then how do you know if God is actually showing up and how do you know where to look for God working? So Paul says that this thorn that he says was given to him, the thorn is what torments him and keeps him from his words being proud. So, is he asking God to do something about the thorn, or is he asking God to do something about his pride? Huh. The thorn hurts, but it's keeping me from being prideful and it's keeping me humble. So do I want God to remove the thorn at the expense of my loss of humility or do I want God to keep me humble? I'm convinced that Paul doesn't really know which he's asking until after God answers. I believe that we see God answer right after this by saying his grace is sufficient. He's saying that my power works best in weakness. So it can't be to just fix a part of my character. Because God is telling him that I'm at my strongest when you're at your weakest. I come and I show up when you're at your point of, of, of pain. So I can't be asking God, really, if, if God is addressing me and meeting me in my place of pain, then why would I want to take away the thing that God meets me in? I know this is, I know this is like, wait, What? Because how easy it would be for God to just remove the thing that's giving you problems. But if he removes the thing that's giving you problems, and you just walk around whistling in La La Land, then how do you ever see God working when he's at his best work in the weakness? Oh man. I know. I know, I know, I know that it would be great. Not me. This what I'm about to say does not apply to me. Okay, so I need y'all to hold on to it for yourselves, but exclude me from this. Okay. Okay. I know you need God to deal with your spouse. I know that you need God to give you a level of patience to deal with her, not me, you. (laughs) I know there is something that you gotta tap into that you like only a gift from the most high God is gonna make this woman make sense to me, to you. So how great would it be the person that you choose the person that you chose to love and honor and I be wed and all the other stuff that you chose how great would it be if it was Disneyland from day one to day 8,000 that would be great right except for one thing You made a vow before God. So that means there's going to be things that happen in the midst of that union that God is going to show you that because of your faithfulness, I will intervene, I will step up, and I will be there for you in your strongest of places to make you strong when you are weak. Victoria, I'm talking about them, not me. Here here we see that how we operate is that the thing that's bugging us we want God to do something about. But what we're missing in other words is that as long as the thorn is there, as long as you have the pain, the frustration and the hurting and the hardship That is where God will meet you. One thing that I've learned about pain is this, when something hurts physically, because pain can come in a lot of ways. It can come in the physical, it can come in the mental, it can come in the emotional, and it can come in the spiritual. But one thing I know is that when any of those things are off, it impacts the other things. If you have a physical pain, it messes with your mind. When your mind is under attack, it messes with your emotions. If your emotions are in shambles, you better believe there's probably no spiritual discipline. And if there's no spiritual discipline, then your mind, your body, and your soul are all at risk. So there's something very serious to be taken about this pain that Paul is asking about and talking about, about this pain that he's trying to understand and this weakness that he's trying to understand because he knows that, wait a minute, if everything else is off, what shall I do? But there is one thing that holds it all together. If I can keep my spiritual self intact and upright or at least cling to God in the midst of what I'm wrestling with, then he will provide more than enough. See, God responds that His grace is sufficient because it's sufficient grace that I have not even earned. God will keep His promise because He loves you. And even though you didn't earn it, see, many of us would be out of luck if we had to have God's grace and we had to wait on when we earned it. Sufficient grace because he cares and he loves you. Sufficient grace because who he is is bigger than our adversity. You see Paul with this dilemma. We see God simply saying, look, in your weakness and in your pain, I'm there for you. But this is where it it started to really disturb me over the last couple of days. Because there is no greater pain than the pain that is caused by your family. Family is complicated because no matter how hectic and chaotic family is, I can talk about them. But you talk about them, we got a problem. One of the things that I think is very interesting when my sisters get mad at my dad, I know it right away. Because they call me and they tell me, well, your daddy did. As Soon as I pick up the phone, hello, let me tell you about your daddy. Now all of a sudden he's mine. See, family gets complicated because in all of its twists and turns and chaoses and crazies, we have learned how to operate within them. And and because it's such a sensitive subject, we, 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 we have to figure out how to normalize all of the chaos. And it's hard for us to reconcile because you don't realize how chaotic your family is until you watch Full House. (laughs) Which really don't make no sense because it's three grown men raising three. We'll talk about TV some other time. But but my my, my point is, is that you don't realize how chaotic and how different. And I don't mean the makeup of it. I don't mean, I mean, there were things that I didn't even realize about my own house until you know about somebody else's house. But see, if we're really gonna dig into this grace thing and the things that contribute to dysfunctional families, I I have to be very transparent with you and I had to write some things down because I wanted to force myself to say them. See, sometimes I don't want to be around certain family members because that's where I was exposed to pornography before I hit puberty. I have no desire to be around certain people because that is where I was exposed to certain things. I don't want to spend time with certain family members because that's where I witness drug addiction and alcohol abuse. I don't want to be bothered with them because that is the root of something that really broke me and disturbed me. I don't want to go visit or stay overnight somewhere when the people who fail to be responsible adults and expose me to things because of their negligence. I don't care who they are. I don't want to be around them. And I don't want my family around them. Why? Because I have to protect what I now have from the dysfunction that was. I have the opportunity to stop some of this madness. But in order to stop it, I have to recognize and realize what it is. And maybe your dysfunctions ain't rooted in these extremes or maybe they're worse. But I'm not trying to be around people who rip out my heart and just stump on it over and over and over again when it was their job to protect me. I don't want to do that. So you can't tell me, you can't preach to me, you can't tell me in church how I'm supposed to just love this person who should have loved me different. I don't know, maybe this is just for my healing, but somebody in here needs to understand that the problems you're faced with right now today are rooted in the brokenness of the dysfunctions that were. You're having problems seeing God now because you're trying to figure out where was God when this was happening to me? Oh, God where was Jesus when when these church folks did this to me and sat around and didn't say nothing to nobody? See, we got to understand we're dealing with a world that's full of dysfunction. And the church is saying, family, family, love one another, give each other grace, forgive one another, and we got these giant, giant thorns. our side and they keep coming up and they keep coming up and we're trying to figure out why is this thing still bothering me after all these years if you look up dysfunction in the dictionary it says an abnormality something that isn't normal it's not functioning like it was designed to function It still works. It's just working in a way that's causing harm. Mm. Dysfunctional family. Dysfunctional family. It's functioning. It's just working in a way that's causing harm. See, many of us as we embark on this faith journey to make sense, and we look to guide ourselves into forward-moving relationships with Jesus. I love that, and it sounds good, but pastor, please tell me, how do I move forward when I feel like I'm stuck in the quicksands of my dysfunction? How do I move forward when this comes to life, in my life. And I decided I was going to tackle that question of how do I decide to do this once I recognize it in my life. And then I realized that sometimes we don't recognize it in our lives. So I'd like to give you just something to picture. If you ever seen a little kid read a book that, and they really don't know how to read, raise your hand. my man, way to be honest. (laughs) No, 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 I'm I'm so glad he said that because somebody over here, when I give you these two examples, need to understand that that's you too. See, that kid is going to do one of two things. That kid is going to get that book, look the part, sit down, cross their legs, open it up, and they're going to say the things that have been said to them over and over and over and over. And you will watch them and you'll be impressed that they have actually learned how to read the book. But actually, all they're really doing is going through the motions of what they've seen and what they've heard. And they're sitting there mimicking, and you can mistake mimicking something and just going along with the program as normalizing even though you know they can't, Somebody, even if you didn't say it out loud, should have said, yep, that's me. Because the other thing, oh, and this, is the, this was my ouch moment. The other thing is, well, I know I'm, the book is for reading. So I'm going to sit it down, open the book, and I'm going to make it up as I go along. because I realized that maybe what I was exposed to and maybe what my page turning would be and maybe my mimicking of what I saw and repeating what I heard came from a place that keeps me further away from God than closer to him. So now I'm trying to figure it out as I go. And now I turn each page trying to put the story together with nothing to lean into. Nothing to make sense out of. That brings me to Paul. Who, if we would put him in that Space of reading the book. Paul says. Here are two things that I know. If I don't remain humble. And give up myself. So that I have a dependency on Jesus. If I. If I don't keep myself. Humble and be. Have humility. Then that that risks me being close to God. So this thorn that's bugging me, I can actually boast in the thorn because the thing that's hurting me, I can recognize what's hurting me and then I can speak the name of Jesus over that thing. And therefore, I'm not trying to ignore that thing. I'm not trying to eliminate that thing. I'm not trying to ignore it or act like it doesn't exist. I'm not trying to rewrite history, hello. I'm not trying to make my childhood something it wasn't, hello. I'm not trying to change the generations that should have known better, and my parents and my grandparents and great-grandparents, hello. I'm realizing exactly what it is, and I'm going to speak the name of Jesus over how it has impacted me today. Oh, could it be that the enemy don't want you to hear what I'm trying to teach you? I thought it was interesting when I look at Family Feud, the game show. I look at Family Feud, the game show, and there's some things that I recognize right away. Yeah, it can be about fun and games and it draws a lot of laughs and so on and so forth. But I started to look at the history of the game. And I thought it was really, really crazy that when I went back to when it first started, the host on the show, I think his name was Richard Dawson. His name was Richard Dawson. And as I watched this show, I thought it was Because this man will walk around kissing everybody in the mouth. No, 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 no. I I want you to catch it. If you haven't ever seen it before, it's gonna creep you out. Every female contestant, he would say hello. And then he would kiss them right in the mouth. And I was so many problems that I had with this on the inside. Because I can't understand what man in a right mind let this man come up in here and kiss his wife and his daughter in the mouth like that. Then I thought, that's nasty. And, and the wheels are just turning and all these different things. And here's, here's all I'm saying to you is that today, I look and I see something wrong with that. Today that wouldn't fly. But in 1976, or whatever it was when that show was on, all these people, for whatever reason, thought this was okay. And I'm sure somebody in that family had to be like, I don't want to kiss this old man. (laughs) And I'm sure it was their mother or their daddy or whoever a bright idea it was to go on the show that said, be quiet, just deal with. functional families some of us have lived lives through things that people who should have known better sat back and watched approved even encouraged and they didn't realize what kind of damage it was going to do to you and your future And here you are now trying to move forward in a relationship with a heavenly father who you could not see. But your earthly father is the one who ran you through the Lord. We need to understand in this moment, God can break. that if you didn't do it, then you should be the gatekeeper. Like Paul is saying, look, like you're going to have hard times, but we got to If this message challenged you and moved you forward, personally or in faith, we encourage you to share it with someone who needs a message of hope today. And if you're interested or looking for ways to partner with us in our mission here at The Table, head on over to thetablejoliet.org for more information.